I'm glad you're here. So we're in Judges, the 16th chapter. You should have outlines on the table, pens if you need one. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin. And certainly my hope today is that we can finish Samson, and uh, we'll do our best. Um, Samson's about to be finished, whether we finish or not, but... uh, We'll see how far we get. Father, thank you for your glory and your majesty and your power and your authority and your mercy, your grace, and your everlasting love. Thank you for being so gracious and kind to us. Thank you for every gift that you have poured out upon us. Thank you most of all for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I pray that you will speak to us from your word for these next few minutes. And Father, I thank you for all who've come. Pray your blessing upon each one, upon their families, and upon our church. So bless us now as we open the Bible and look at what you have to say for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are at verse 4 of chapter 16. Last week, we began the story of Samson and Delilah. And we looked at the first three verses, foolish yet powerful, as Samson uh, went in to a a prostitute. uh, And we know that uh, the people in the town in Gaza talk about a modern-day name and place. And so they were going to capture Samson when the sun came up. Uh, But instead, he got up early and ripped the city gates off their hinges and carried them out to the mountain nearby uh, and looked in the direction of Hebron, 38 miles away, land of Judah, and delivered a message, don't mess with me. They had tried to do that, as you remember earlier. And so that's where we left Samson last time. So let's look at verse 4 of chapter 16. And so this is really where we meet Delilah. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, I'd have to ask a question if Samson really knew what love was. But the text says he fell in love with Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we could overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. At least she was direct. (laughs) Yep. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought him, brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now and tell me how you can be tied. He said, Now, I didn't act as dramatically. I am sure Delilah was very dramatic, don't you think? There and everything she's about to do. Um, 
I have this in my notes, she played him like a fiddle. And, and we see that as we roll along. Verse 11, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you don't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. (laughs) Okay. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, I I think this time she could tell he was telling the truth. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So Samson, Delilah and Samson's power. Delilah's from the Valley of Sorek. It's Philistine territory. She is a Philistine. This territory would have been due west of Jerusalem, about 25, uh, about 25 miles. Um, that would have been a long way if you had to walk it, but obviously as we think about modern transportation, 25 miles is, uh, is really nothing. In fact, uh, as you're familiar from either having been to the Holy Land or at least looking at it on a map, you're, you're aware that it, everything's close. There, there's no, there are no great distances uh, to be traveled. Uh, until the Six-Day War, Israel at its narrowest point was eight miles across. Uh, pretty close to your neighbors. And so... Um, 25 miles west of, uh, of Jerusalem, where Delilah was from. So the rulers try to bribe her, and it didn't take much to bribe her. She was really open to doing that. Uh, Samson knows the danger in being with a Philistine woman, uh, but his lust is more important to him than anything else. She is supposed to love him, but her desire for money and importance is greater. Now, 1,100 shekels was a lot of money. 
If you want to compare it, flip the page to chapter 17, verse 10, where we'll be maybe later today. Uh, A man named Micah said to him, and he's trying to get a young man to be his priest. So he said to this, uh, this young man, I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year and your clothes and your food. So compare 10 shekels for a year's work of service to 1,100 shekels that they're going to give to Delilah if she will find the secret of Samson's strength. So understand, they were serious. They wanted him captured. Uh, They really want him dead, but they're going to have fun with him first. So 1,100 shekels is a lot of money in, in that day. So... Uh, He listens to her in verse 6. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, we think about this. We try to think it through. He wasn't thinking anything through, but we want to think it through. And we would say, okay, um, I'm out of here. You know, I'm leaving. If If that's what you're after, then I'm leaving. Uh, but he plays with her. In a sense, they're sort of playing with each other. In verse 10, uh, she says, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now and tell me how you can be tied. And incredulously, he does it again. Uh, he believes he's invincible. Now, that's beginning to come through. Samson thinks nothing's going to happen to me. And then in verse 13, she asks him again, but do you see an ominous tone here? Now he's close to letting her touch what he believes is the source of his strength, and that's what? His hair. So mess with my hair. So he's getting really close. Now in verse 15, I wrote there, she plays him like a fiddle. So he tells her, And this time, she can look at him and tell, this time he's telling me the real thing. Now, the key to this whole story is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, verse 20. So if you look there again, then she calls Samson the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his strength and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Those are sad words. So here's the reality of the strength of Samson. It's from the Lord. And when the Lord leaves him, he has no more strength or not any more than any ordinary man would have. So Samson and Delilah are both self-focused. He's using her for sex and the thrill of danger, it, it seems, and she is using him to get a fortune and to be in good standing with her fellow Philistines. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Great Divorce, a quote, you cannot love a fellow creature fully till you love God. Samson and Delilah came up really short on the loving God part. Very short. Samson believed that his strength was simply his. No matter what he did or how he lived, he was not going to lose his strength. His self-deception 
is more theological than it is psychological because he was unable to see how dependent he was on God's grace. He acted as though he had a right to his strength. The Philistines saw his strength as magical, mystical. They felt that he was strong because of something he did. And they found that it was in his hair length, so they thought. And Samson's thinking was, I don't have to do anything to keep myself strong. That's why, I don't want to flog a dead horse because I've talked about this several times, but that's why I don't think he was an extremely muscular man, though he certainly portrayed that way in most paintings and in movies that have portrayed his life. But we continue to get those questions. What's the source of your strength? How are you so strong? How are you able to do all this? You don't have to ask a bodybuilder, where is the source of your strength? It's obvious. But it was not obvious with Samson. And so people were asking, how, how can you do all these things? What's the source of your great strength? Well, we see in these verses, the Philistines capture him. They are brutal people. Very brutal people. In fact, some historians, I've read in a couple of books, some historians say they perhaps were the most vicious people who ever lived. I don't know how to judge that, but I'm sure they were among the top, if not the top. So they capture him, and they immediately gouge out his eyes. Um, My goodness, the pain of that must have been awful. And so Samson immediately becomes their slave. Now note his hair began to grow again, it says. Why? Well, hair grows. It does. And you think, why did the Philistines allow it? I mean, didn't they put two and two together and think, let's keep that head shaved, send the barber in every day? They didn't do that. Why not? Well, for one thing, he's blind. So what's he going to do? And once hairless, he was no longer a Nazarite. And so they thought his power is over. Now, both the thinking that he can't do anything because he's blind and the fact that that he's no longer a Nazarite, really really kind of a shallow view of God, uh, because God had said, if you remember the 13th chapter and the 7th verse, he will be a Nazarite until his death. It's 13-7. He will be a Nazarite. Now, I grant you, the Philistines probably had no way of knowing that. But, But the real failure here is to realize that Samson's strength is from God. Now, God acts in grace and mercy. Samson will be strong again. We're going to see that in a moment because God makes him strong again. Don't let the hair get in the way. No, no pun intended. His strength comes from God. So Samson is now going to make his final strike against the Philistines, and that will begin with verse 23. So let's look there. 
Now, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. See what they're saying? Our God's stronger than your God. And we're going to have fun and we're going to celebrate that fact. When the people saw him, that is Samson, they praised their God, Dagon, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. I'm not sure what he did, really, but they found it quite entertaining. And when they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servants who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and all the rulers of Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. I don't know what they were doing to him to make him perform. Uh, They may have been poking him with spears or poking him with sticks or whacking him on the back. I, I don't know, but... Whatever it was, they were thoroughly entertained in that this once powerful man is now weak, they think, and he can't do anything, and our God's greater than his God. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more, And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Do you see what he's come to realize in his, in his slavery? He now knows where his strength came from. He's fully cognizant that my strength was not in my hair. My strength was in God. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Last verse. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years, the last judge, the last judge. There are four more chapters, but there are no more judges. He's it. Now, um, Samson in verse uh, 28, I'm sorry, in verse 28, Samson prays for the second time, at least Textually, he prays for the second time that a prayer is recorded. The Philistines bring in Samson to mock him. Now, the temple in which they were doing all this would have been a square with a courtyard and surrounding the courtyard, I guess second or third floor, would have been a balcony that goes all the way around 
And that's where most of the people were. They were up on the balcony looking down at Samson. So Samson asked God for strength. I want revenge. He says, for my eyes. Is that the wrong motive? Maybe. But what is unmistakable this time is Samson's humility. And really the only time that we've ever seen Samson humble. Samson acknowledges God as sovereign. Now, if you want to turn, you can, or you can listen to me read it. Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 34. Listen carefully. The Faith Hall of Fame. You, you know that chapter. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, got that phrase, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. That, those verses tell us that Samson was full of faith when? I certainly have not seen it until now. That's what it's talking about. Now, at this moment, at the end, Samson is full of faith and God does what only he can do and God's grace is real. You, do you remember? Do you, look, at the, look, at your, um, look at your outline. What does it say underneath the date? Sin, servitude, and what? We see grace throughout all of the book of Judges. God's grace. And here we see it again, last time in Samson's life. Now, he pulls down the pillars... And he killed more people at that moment than all the rest of his life put together. And the most important part of his life was his death. You know, we see Israel's story in, in Samson, if you'll, if you'll think about it. Uh, their, their lack of obedience their constant compromise. We see that in in Samson. But you know, we also see God's grace. And, And at the end, Samson had faith and God acted one more time in the life of Samson and did what only God could do and used Samson to accomplish it. So Samson's dead, but in death, Israel wins And the whole story, if you remember when we started it, the whole story orchestrated by whom? Samson? The whole story orchestrated by God in order to bring about what between Israel and the Philistines? Conflict. And Israel is the victor. God works in mysterious ways. Can I explain why God used Samson, a man like that? I cannot. 
But, you know, I really don't have much time to worry about why God would use a man like Samson. I'm spending more time wondering why would God ever use a man like me. And I would encourage you to think on those terms more than spending time worrying and fretting about why God used a man like Samson. So we have just enough time to think for a moment about the next two chapters, chaos of life in Israel. Now, for the rest of the book, which four chapters, there are no more judges. Samson's the last. There are more people, but no more judges. We're going to get, in these four chapters, a ground-level view of life in Israel. We're going to see what it's really like, and it's not a pretty picture. There is religious chaos. There are no standards of living and worshiping, not because God has not spoken, I refer you to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God has spoken. But because Israel ignores what she knows and fails to teach the generations to come what they don't know. And it becomes very obvious. There is minimal mention of God in the remainder of the book. He is viewed as irrelevant for daily life until their oppression becomes unbearable. And then they cry out, and the cycle goes on and on and on. Now, I want you to look at chapter 17, verse 6. For the rest of the book shows us the results of verse 6 in chapter 17. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, we've seen that verse before, or one like it. They had no heavenly king that they acknowledged, And they had no earthly king that they obeyed. And we're introduced to a man named Micah. So I want to read the first six verses. And we'll not spend an enormous amount of time in any of the last four chapters. So we're on our way toward being finished. But let's look at these first six verses. And and remember, where are we going next? Luke. Okay. Don't know for sure that it'll be two weeks from today, but it might be. might be three. Now, a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Wow. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. What? That's exactly what. I want you to begin to see in these last words the utter religious chaos of Israel. I mean, they don't know how to do anything right. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as priest. What? In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. I'll say so. And we see it in in Micah. So we're going to pick back up there next week just briefly looking at, at what in the world I mean, you could just read that superficially and say, whoa, that doesn't, what in the world? Idols of God? 
seems to me that God said, don't do that. What, what, are that, what are they doing? Well, that's where we'll pick up. So we're going to see some chaotic, some chaotic things. But you know, if you're a close observer of what's going on in our, our culture, this doesn't seem all that strange. Because there's some strange things going on in the name of Christ and His church in our culture. So maybe some of that will be brought to your memory when we read a little more. Father, um, thank you for teaching us. I pray that we'll take very, very seriously your grace and your love and what you've done for us. And that it will be such an incentive for us to, to look like you and to live for you and to share you with others every day. That we'll be overwhelmed by the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for everybody who's come. Get us home safely. Bring us together again next week as we continue toward the end of Judges. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all. Thank you.